thank you everyone for joining us on as per usual a podcast that explores the current state of patient engagement in Canadian research and how to make it better. Uh, my name is Bryn Robinson and today we're bringing together several experts to talk about um, the state of patient engagement in one particular area um, in Canadian research. So what our plan is is to bring together experts to discuss the results of and a study that explores the perspectives of patients and academic researchers on the present and future state of patient engagement. And our goal is to provide practical tips for better patient engagement and ultimately create a community of practice that will empower listeners to begin making changes in the system. So with each episode, uh, this is our very first episode, but with each episode from here on out, we're going to start with a review of one of the results from the study. And then we'll hear from our researchers and partners in the field who have addressed some or all of the topic. And then we will begin having more of a conversation um, with our colleagues and see some, perhaps uncover some of the practical ways we can address the topic of the episode and make changes, you know, in our own system starting, starting now. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Anna. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bryn. So in our study, patient partners and academic researchers identified the need to better integrate patient engagement and research within and across the Canadian healthcare and research systems. They also identify three ways in which this can be achieved. So first, they stated it could be achieved through the creation of designated patient partner positions at leadership and governance levels within research and healthcare organizations. So for example, this could take the form of creating designated patient partner positions within, let's say, the steering committee that oversees the strategic visioning and operations of a center. And these positions matter because they help ensure that patient engagement-related considerations and patient partner interests are always at the forefront of these organizations. And these positions would also support patient partner involvement in setting research and healthcare agendas and priorities that would then hopefully lead to innovative research projects and patient-centered healthcare reform. Now, another approach towards systemic integration could also include embedding the strategy for patient-oriented research and patient engagement and research in general within the pillars of the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. This would help to ensure that the principles and foundations of patient engagement and research are represented within the fabrics of the institutes that make up the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and thus within most aspects of Canadian health research. And finally, the third suggested approach involved better establishing a bi-directional, so two-way relationship between research and healthcare to form a learning health system. And through these intricate connections between the Canadian research and healthcare systems, patient-identified priorities, outcomes, and perspectives are driving research, and patient-engaged research, in turn, is informing healthcare delivery and decisions. Now, hopefully these ideas make at least some sense to everyone listening, but if not, fear not, because we have two amazing guests that will share their experience experiences with these concepts and more, thereby helping to bring them into the realm of the tangible as well as the doable. So, to steal Bryn's phrase, without further ado, we would like to introduce our two guests today, Dr. Don Richards and Dr. Stuart Nichols. They'll be sharing their experiences and perspectives on systemic integration of patient engagement in health and research systems. Thanks so much for joining us here today, you both. So why don't we start by turning it over to you, Don, and then Stuart, to share with the listeners a little bit about your background as it pertains to research and the experiences that you'll be sharing today. Hey, hi everyone. Thanks for having me, Anna and Bryn. So um, my name is Don Richards. I live, work, and play in Toronto, which is the unceded territory of Treaty 13, and I'm grateful every day to live and learn on this beautiful land. Um, so I'm actually an analytical chemist by training, which is really quite far from the work that I do today. Um, but um, I really, honestly, it was my diagnosis with rheumatoid arthritis almost 20 years ago that uh, changed my career trajectory. 
So for the past 10 years or so, I've been um, working as a consultant to help um, people. So it might be individual researchers or it might be organizations to, uh, I say, do patient engagement in research and healthcare-based projects. So that might be from helping them develop a strategy to executing that strategy, to helping them with tactical pieces associated with that strategy. Um, I've been really fortunate over the past many years to also contribute to um, the patient engagement space in terms of actually providing commentary and um, authoring often with other patient partners, um, academic publications. And so if people know me, I'm really passionate about authorship topics. I'm really passionate about the topic of compensation and payment. And um, I'm also passionate about the idea, which sounds ridiculous when I say it out loud, but the idea that patients are actually whole people that bring more than just their patient experiences, way much more um, to the settings in which we work. So that's a bit about me, and um, I'll pass it off to Stuart. Thanks, Don. Um, so I'm Stuart Nichols. I'm based at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute, which is on the traditional and unceded Algonquin territory. Um, and so I sort of come from a researcher background. That's That's been my route into patient engagement and research. Uh, although that this really sort of goes back to the early 2000s where I, when I was working in the UK, so my first role was actually what was called the user engagement officer, which was sounds quite official, but it was very much about patient engagement in, in that time, clinical genetics. Um, and then sort of in my own research role, sort of very much interesting sort of the lived experiences of different healthcare policies, practices, uh, experience and health conditions and so that's sort of in my trajectory and up to the coming back to that in my current role which I, I started in September 2020 uh, working as the strategy for patient-oriented research sport program facilitator at the Ottawa Hospital so you know I do various things from working with research teams to try and help them think through how to make their research more patient-oriented we do education and outreach uh, and training. And then we also do some work matching patient partners with research teams as well. So there's that, and then we do our own research into the methods of patient engagement and, and patient-oriented research. So that's kind of the main, main areas of our work. Awesome. Thanks again for your introductions, as well as for being here today. So Stuart, would you now like to take the time to share with us some of your experiences with the Ottawa model for patient engagement, which you published on recently. And for those of you who are interested in reading firsthand about this cutting edge model for patient engagement, we will include a link to this freely accessible open access paper on our sub stack. And I won't really take away Stuart's um, speaking points, but what I will say that is that in this paper, Stuart and his colleagues present an institutional model for building infrastructure and capacity for patient engagement and research within both the Ottawa Hospital as well as the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. So take it away, Stuart. Thanks. Um, and I, I, I should acknowledge before I, I start that, um, you know, I, as I say, I've been in this role since 2020. So my predecessor, Zara Monferredi, Dean Ferguson, and Claudia Hampel, who was a the Ottawa Hospital really sort of did a lot of the groundwork and built much of this infrastructure that I'll talk about. We've sort of built on that over the last few years, but uh, they, to their credit, you know, they did a lot of this work getting things going. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing that I would say is the sort of driver behind what we've done is the, the alignment of the two institutions. And that's really, again, goes to the, the leadership of the two institutions who have both committed to patient engagement and so research is embedded in the bigger hospital kind of mandate and it, it's planning so both the since the paper both 
the research institute and the hospital have had a new strategic plan and that's just further embedded patient engagement both at the hospital and bringing the research into that so um, that's really been great and then so that's been part of it and sort of looking to existing guidance like sport so the original uh, framework that we used at the other hospital was taking those sport principles uh, and looking at how we can apply those locally so uh, that was sort of a big thing and then from there it's trying to like think how do we operationalize these different uh, areas and you know as we mentioned in the paper, you know, there's legislation on the on the hospital side, which sort of mandated the formation of the patient family advisory committees. But we've sort of built on that to say, okay, we don't just want one committee that serves the whole hospital. They've actually developed multiple committees. So there's a renal PFAC, for example, there's a cancer PFAC. So PFAC is patient and family advisory committee. And so we now have what we call a patient family engagement program that covers all of these, uh, as well as a number of sort of individual activities. So that's that's been driven again, you know, recognizing the legislation, but really trying to build on that and say, actually, can we go above and beyond the sort of baseline requirements to see what would actually work? Um, and then on the hospital, on the research institute side, obviously we had SPORE to look to, um, and then we were able to leverage funding. And again, we, we can maybe come back to this at some point, but you know, the, the funding is, is a key piece on the research side, I think. Um, and so being able to leverage that to build infrastructure. So my position, for example, would not exist without funding, or at least initially would not have existed without that external funding. Um, and then having the buy-in to develop a policy. So we actually have a policy that really emphasizes the importance of patient engagement in the clinical research we do, supports that, uh, and sort of gives resources and explains different roles to that. So those are the sort of, I would say some of the key drivers, and then it's really sort of building to think about how we can take that forward in, in concrete activities. So I mean, again, some of these were built before before I arrived. So one of the things that's really sort of been great is the collaboration between our office. So I'm based in the Ottawa Method Center. So that's basically a method support unit that exists within the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute. And then on the hospital side, as I say, there's the patient family engagement program and there's a lead for that program on the hospital side and then there's myself on the research institute side so really sort of seeing those synergies and work finding ways to work together and so we've built a system um, where we can leverage the methods consultation process so we do a lot of consultation whether it's for statistical analysis or other help designing clinical trials or whatever but we also have within that a method support line around patient engagement or patient-oriented research, and that's where I come in. So effectively, there's a form online that people can fill in saying, I'm looking for help in this area. And if that happens, that request gets directed to me. I can then reach out to the investigator and say, uh, you know, what's what can we help with? And we will either help from a design perspective, or if it's a patient partner matching requests. So they're looking for patient partners to help provide input or collaborate with in the study. We can then reach out to our colleagues on the Ottawa hospital side to sort of help with that. Uh, and perhaps I should have taken a step back there is that we don't have research specific patient partners. One of the things we, we recognized early on and looking at some of the other programs and work we've seen around the world is that a challenge is that you might have lots of people want to be involved in research, but then we work on a project kind of basis. So we try and match people really well with the particular area of interest, the clinical area. And so we've seen in other programs where there's a lot of interest in being involved and then not really that many projects that are specific to their interest. So 
one of the decisions early on was to say, actually, if we're going to have patient engagement, let's work across both institutions so people aren't left like that. So they can be involved in different committees that draw on their lived experience, but also other areas of interest. So to draw on your point about people being more than just that, that lived experience, that health issue, actually, we know that there are patient partners who have expertise either in human resources or finance or have done surveys or all these sorts of things. So our matching process is not just about that discrete health interaction, but we also collect information or Juliana Osorio, who's the patient family engagement, lead, collects information about their general areas of interest. And that often brings out those other skills that people have so that we can integrate that into the committees or whatever they want to get involved with. So, so we the reason we work across is to try and maintain that level of interaction so people aren't just left waiting and we can have that ongoing interaction on the clinical side on the research side institutional governance whatever it may be um so yeah i mean that's kind of some of the fundamental infrastructure and let's say we'll, i can talk about the other bits in the paper at some other point no for sure don did you have any uh anything you wanted to build off of that or yeah, maybe maybe I some of what Stuart has said, and I just took down some too, especially with things that I think start to emerge as themes about um, integrating this at um, at an organizational or institutional level. So, one of the organizations that I work for is one of the CIHR or the Canadian Institutes of Health Research's Institute of Musculoskeletal Health and Arthritis giant mouthful i'm just gonna call it imha throughout the discussion <laughs> i apologize people are like another acronym you just have to think of imha it's the institute i'm talking about <laughs> um and so imha is one of 13 institutes at chr uh it's the one that i kind of belong to as a person who lives with arthritis and i became involved actually with the institute a number of years ago when I actually applied to be on the Institute Advisory Board, which is usually mostly researchers, clinicians, like academics, basically. And um, I mean, I'm a safe target um, because yes, I'm a patient, but I also know academics speak and I know the system, right? So I'm not downplaying my amazing skills for why IMHA selected me to be on the Institute Advisory Board, but I mean, let's just be honest, I, I can easily integrate into the setting. So um, that that was quite a few years ago. Um, and people may know that the scientific directors of the institutes at CIHR change. So um, they can have terms up, they have up to four year terms, and they may have up to two four year terms. Mm -hmm. So at this particular institute, um, actually, ever since it started almost 20 years ago, the scientific directors had engaged patients or people with lived experience in some capacity. And so, as I mentioned, I, I came on as an Institute Advisory Board member, and I was also part of a group called their Research Ambassadors. So the Institute Advisory Board is, they're not really... A, they're not really governance because they're not traditional governance. Like they don't make decisions, but they advise the scientific director as community members. And so it's a, it's a strategic role, right? They, they help in that capacity. The research ambassadors were a separate group of people who live with conditions under the umbrella of IMHA's um, conditions. And they kind of advise the scientific director on different things. Um, might be funding opportunities that were coming along. It might be things that are happening at the CIHR level. Um, and it was interesting to watch because some of the research ambassadors were fairly interested in that, but you could tell that some research ambassadors were a little bit more jazzed about, you know, like how, how do I be involved in research? Or, or maybe that's the kind of angle that they were coming from as well. So over the years, the, that research ambassador group took on a different look and feel according to who the scientific director was. Um, Dr. Karim Khan came on, um, I think just over, uh, he's in his second term now as scientific director. So I met him shortly after he came on board. 
he maintained the research ambassadors group, but you could kind of tell, just be honest, like he wasn't really sure what to do with the group. Um, there had been some turnover and the group was primarily people who were like really itching to do stuff, not just advise, right? Um, and I was still on the IAB at this time. And so we had some discussions about the research ambassador group um, and what was going on there. And CARM is a real champion um, for patient engagement. And so um, he actually brought me on separately to work just over, around a day a week for the Institute to kind of reformulate the research ambassadors into what's now called the patient engagement re uh, research ambassadors or PARA program. And, um, and to also think about globally at the Institute what the patient engagement strategy would look like. And so I can talk more about the patient engagement research ambassador group and some of what they've done. But a, a couple of things that kind of dropped out of what Stuart said to me here is the important things that I found through that process now going into fourth year with the Institute and its commitment to patient partners and patient engagement is resourcing. So as I mentioned, CARM brought me on a day a week to work with the Institute. And there's other types of resourcing that goes into the work that the group does. So honorarium plus other supports for the resources that that, that group independently decided to, to deal with. And then as I've mentioned, a leadership commitment, like the scientific director is committed um, to this being a priority for the Institute. So I've since resigned from the Institute Advisory Board. Uh, another patient partner has come in and, and been very strong on the board. Um, we're just, we've just turned over the membership of the Patient Engagement Research Ambassadors Group. And we've got a whole bunch of other stuff that's going on at the Institute too, but that wouldn't happen without leadership commitment and without the resources to do that. So I'll maybe just leave it there for mm -hmm. now. I know we'll probably talk about some of those other things too, but um, that's just kind of an overview. Thanks so much, John and Stuart. That's been such a good, interesting overview of basically what you've experienced in terms of systemic integration. And I was wondering whether either of you could maybe delve into a little um, to help the listeners see a bit more about what you see as the benefits of really taking this like patient-centered governance structural approach, because it is quite different to the way that most institutes are set up. So if somebody, let's say, is maybe part of an institute or kind of launching one, or maybe they even have their own research program, something that they could maybe kind of think about and reflect on and take back to those key players like you mentioned on with that to try and get some leadership commitment and buy-in. Because I know for myself as a researcher, people are always interested when I tell them the type of work that we do. Well, what are the benefits? What are the benefits? What do you get out of it? Why? Why should we bother really, to put it crudely? So what would you guys say to that? Stuart, would you like to start or would you like me to? No, you can you stop. Okay, I'll kick this one off. I'm sure you'll have lots of other great stuff to add. Um, like I was on a call this morning, Anna, where I was more representing a patient voice than um, anything else. It was really interesting to hear the researchers there and the clinician there talk about exactly what you're talking about, like what were the benefits for them, right? And I always think about when we bring patient partners on board, whether or not they're, they've been engaged before um, or they understand, in, in my world, it's mostly academics that I'm working with, whether or not they understand that, they, they tend to bring just such different perspectives um, because everyone else around the table I'll say they've been indoctrinated and maybe that's not the best word, but you know, they're part of the culture. They're part of the fabric of the, Oh, we don't do things that way. Right. Of like, Oh, we've never done things that way. Like we can't do that. And like, I'm being completely facetious for the purposes of demonstration, but um, 
so they bring in like this new unencumbered like what do you mean you've never worked with patient partners right like what do you mean the, the best is when you know you talk to somebody who's well you know our researcher our research is going to benefit x type of patient have you ever talked to x type of patient about like what it actually is like to live with them well no but it's going to benefit them i know it will right it's like i i just don't quite get like at this stage of my career researching something that's a benefit to a group of people where you don't fully understand what it's like um, to live in their in their skin kind of every day, right? So for me, it's really like, it's bringing a different perspective of what it's like to live with that condition or that have that experience that you're interested in studying. It's also just about that fresh perspective from like outside the walls of the organization that that you work in and and whether or not what they bring is feasible is, is another story, but just, you know, breathing in that kind of fresh perspective can sometimes really like, you know, it just turns a key in somebody else's, um, you know, brain. And it's like, whoa, like you just come up with these, these uh, different outputs and that different approaches that, that you never would have. So I, I think for me, like there, there is starting to be evidence too, like specific evidence, especially out of PCORI, they're doing research on research, like what are the actual benefits of patient engagement in research? But for me, just having seen them firsthand, um, that, that's some of the kind of things that come to mind. So Stuart, I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you obviously touched on many of the things. I, I always sort of raise the question of sort of, taking this back to the motivation, right? So for me, the what the benefits are of, often align with what the motivation was in the first place and what you're looking for, because often you'll evaluate on different things depending on what the motivation was. So, you know, going back to some of the sort of deliberative democracy type of motivations for doing uh, public engagement particularly, but equally patient engagement, you know, if the goal is to sort of give voice to those who haven't had a voice, then what you're looking for in terms of the benefits or the, the impacts might be different to say than if we're saying we want to use patient engagement to improve the quality of our research, however we, we define quality. So, you know, one, one route around that patient voice might be, are the questions actually addressing the needs of those populations? If so, then you might be asking, if you wanted to evaluate that, it's like, well, did you feel you had a voice? Did you feel what you said was heard was taken into action those sorts of questions and again takes us to tokenism and, and those sorts of concerns but if your goal is to say does patient engagement make our research better and from a design perspective you may have different questions you want to ask so for example uh don't mention some of the impacts and there was a review uh in the field of clinical trials a few years ago where they showed that patient what was called patient and public involvement using the UK-based language actually had an uh, impact, positive impact on recruitment into clinical trials, for example. That's a very different way of looking at it from an evaluation perspective in terms of those outcomes, but both may be relevant. Uh, and depending on your audience, you may have to leverage different types of evidence to show or to get buy-in. So again, I think depending on who you're trying to talk to in terms of who those benefit you know what those benefits are you may be able to draw on different types of evidence so I always think that's quite important yeah and, and maybe just to build on what um, Stuart has said here you know if you were to ask patient partners about the benefits for them uh, they may come up with some really personal um, descriptions in in their own lives of how things have benefited them so I guess it depends too on who you're asking about the benefits right mm -hmm. well I was wondering too I mean it it complaining off what you're what you've both said is what when you're getting back to I guess the institution in terms of you met you both mentioned leadership that seems to be a really key component and then also resourcing seems to be huge as well and when you think back to you know having to show people and it depends on where maybe that researcher that group is you know showing people the benefits of doing patient engagement and and involving that collaboration what's um 
do you feel like there's one or the other, or maybe it's maybe you can't say one or the other in terms of in terms of its importance? Is how is it the leadership of the institution, or can does it start with the resourcing um, to start building integrating it more because to integrate more of that culture, more of that? Yeah, I mean, I, from our side, I think the leadership buy-in has to be that in order to get the resources. I think that's the way, you know, we've we've had it. And again, we've been very fortunate that we've got some, uh, both at the research side and the, the hospital side, leadership that have bought in and seen the, the benefits and therefore brought in actual resources, both, you know, financial and human. I mean, I, we talk about the resources from a number of perspectives. Um, and actually, that's going to be for us. It's it's actually one of the ongoing challenges is that we've actually been quite a successful program. Um, I understand, you know, the, the hospital is one of the bigger programs in the province. Um, and now we're getting to the point of like, okay, how can we, you know, what are the resources we need now? Now we've got a big program because the next question is sort of well, what's the metrics they're going to start looking at in terms of the the institutional you know so you know is it we have to have 10 percent growth in the number of projects or you know so how do we think about that and then um we know that hospital budgets are under strain we know that that's it so how do we do how do we work within those constraints so one of the challenges we're undergoing is sort of how do we think about our current processes and are there ways we can either improve those, reduce workload, or, or, you know, how do we think about that given the, the growth of what that means in terms of those resource investments, um, particularly on the hospital side? Maybe maybe to add on to that, Bryn, yeah. it kind of feels like a chicken and an egg question, right? I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but I, think, I think maybe Stuart is right. Like you can't, you can't necessarily properly resources I think without leadership support and I, I'm not saying that you know it, it takes a, a gigantic number of resources all the time I think I think for you know organizations that are worried about that there's ways to start small and grow it right um, but I do think even when I reflect at at IMHA at the institute that I'm currently working with just over the years, there's been a different level of resourcing to it. And that that does become reflective in like, you know, what do the outputs look like? Or, um, you know, are, are there things that come out of it besides meeting minutes that are tangible, right? Not, not to say it didn't influence the scientific director's thinking, but if you, if you don't see or hear of something tangible, I think it's easy for an outsider to go, well, was that really worth it? Um, and so I, I think Stuart's got a great point too about the importance of measuring and evaluating things because like, I do believe this is the right thing to do. And there, I, I do think there's, you know, um, moral and ethical obligations to yeah. including people as, as partners in research. But I think if you can't, properly demonstrate outcomes um it, it's really easy to say well that's not an important part of what we're up to right now right so those are both really good points and I think what it's already highlighting and I and I think both Anna and I knew this when we started this uh project is how difficult it is to be discreet in the topics because everything is so interconnected you know it you know resourcing in terms of uh compensation in terms of measurement and evaluation because that has a play on the integration and so a lot of these topics aren't sort of standalone uh, topics but yeah so I guess uh, as you were both talking you know and again so leadership seems to be you know resourcing of course I mean you can do a lot with little but I get the sense that both you well maybe more so Stuart than Don, like in terms of your, um, with the with the institutions you were involved in that, you know, there were already people there, leaders there that seemed to, in a sense, be aligned in, in sort of the goals. And, and you were saying, or Don, you were saying there was a changover, maybe this when Kareem came on and then 
he was very much of that of that mind as well and uh i'm just thinking ahead because i think you know this is always the i thought is the application of things is um places that don't have as a robust model is both that you know with imha and with the ottawa model that maybe you're thinking geez i really want to i want to do this i want to get i want to encourage this how how would anyone how would you encourage you know I guess when you're thinking about leadership in terms of a structure, in terms of a you know an institution, and that's a and I realize that's maybe a big a really big question, but um, it's just where my thoughts go when I when I'm listening to to both of you. Yeah, I mean one of the things, and again maybe this isn't some I don't know how you know chicken egg kind of situation, but one of the things we've been working on is trying to pick up on that evaluation piece is to sort of try and embed ways of capturing information that we can then use to leverage for more investment or to to demonstrate benefits. So I'll just give you a couple of examples that we we touch on in the paper, but we've also built since. So I mentioned we have the consult request form where people can get the method support. So we have that as a metric, you know, how many requests came in, where they're coming from, whatever. Um, but we also realize that not everyone who's doing patient engagement in research at the Ottawa Hospital would consult us. The form can be a bit uh, difficult to find, shall we say. Uh, not everyone. And the other thing is, once people have got your name, it's easier to email you than fill out a form. That's the other thing, right? So it doesn't all officially go through the system. So again, we've had to sort of find systems to track this. So we have a, a database that we've sort of built. But then we were trying to think, well, what are the, what are the barriers to using that consent uh, consultation form? You know, A, it's difficult, maybe difficult to find or not as easy to find, but it's actually adding in extra work, you know. So one of the things we did was within the hospital, when there's a, oh, sorry, within the research institute, we have processes where if people are submitting grants, they're supposed to fill out uh, what we call an e-notice of intent. So basically it's an internal form that allows the institution to know what the resource implications might be should that grant be awarded, whether it's going to need research ethics review, uh, animal-related uh, issues, human resource issues, whatever. So we worked with the, the institution to embed a question, have you already or do you intend to engage patient partners in this research? So this is at the grant submission stage. So while they may not have come to me for a consult because they, they know what they're doing, we can at least capture that information that so many grants were going in that have indicated that they have or will be engaging patient partners. And so we, I get an alert when one of those notices is submitted and I can reach out proactively then to say, do you need any help? Is it whether it's matching or something else? So again, it's, it's a mechanism. We capture the data of how many grants were submitted, which means we can then say, how many of those grants submitted were successful and how many of those successful grants so for successful grants, we can actually, in theory, compare those that had patient engagement and those that didn't. So again, if if one of our metrics is to try and convince people, actually, you're going to be more successful with your grants, maybe, with patient engagement, we actually have data to maybe start to show that. Um, but it also, again, again, enables us to proactively reach out and maybe people don't know some about the matching system, or maybe they don't know about some of the resources we have, and it's another way to spread that message. The other thing we've done on the other side is that within our research ethics board submissions, and um, I can't take credit for this, Zara and Dean, my predecessors did this, but within the, our research ethics board submissions, that there's the same question, have you or are you engaging patients as partners? And if they say yes, then there's a further question about where in this, is it the study design, outcome selection, all those sorts of things. And so again, if it's not been funded, if it's an internally funded project or, or we, we don't have it tracked somewhere else, we can pull that data. And so we, we can start to build this sort of 360 degree picture of the research that's happening. And look at that on an annual basis and look at where the patient engagement is happening. Is, is there an increase? Uh, you know, what what amount of funding so we can tie the engagement to the volume of funds that we're bringing in. So we have all these, these sort of data points we can start to show. So that's kind of one area where I think it goes to some of the things you were talking about. 
Maybe just to add a little bit to what um, Stuart had said there, and and, and maybe just otherwise, um, I do I do think that doing patient engagement in research or establishing some kind of process at an institutional level, I just I I do think that leadership needs to buy in or it needs to have a champion. Like I I just don't think you can not, um, and it does take resources. And I think Stuart's touch on this, it might be a mixture of human resources. It might be some financial resources. It might be other resources, right? So I just, I, I don't want to give the impression that doing this well means you've got somebody in a closet doing this off the side of their desk at the end of the day when they've already done, oh, the rest of their job, right? Um, so, and maybe I'll just put a plug in <laughs> today, myself and five other patient partners published on like really what happens when patient engagement doesn't go well, because we've all had those experiences. And, um, you know, I, I'd like people to learn from those. And I'm not saying that's always going to be the case when you don't throw a bunch of money at this, because um, that's not the message there. But I I do think we have to be realistic. If it, if an organization is going to undertake this, it does need some kind of leadership champion and it does need someone's time carved out um, at least for some of the time to be doing this. Um, and then maybe I'll add just like Stuart has talked about at IMHA, we have been evaluating um, how we've been doing with respect to patient engagement, and we, we have been starting to look at the impact, mostly within the institute, because that's what we can easily measure, but we're starting to see, I'll say, the tentacles moving out from the institute, and those are good tentacles, by the way, um, moving out from the institute in terms of having some influence as well, which, which is always really gratifying as someone who's, you know, like, builder and and doing this type of work to see that you've actually convinced others or or they see what you're doing and think it's a value and I'll say borrow or are inspired by it right and that might be another thing that I put out there is that I see a lot of organizations going oh we have to build our own model oh you know oh we need our own training we need this and it's like I, I'm not totally convinced of that I think there's a lot of really good stuff that's out there. Sure, there's room for a lot of other stuff, but I, I guess that's one thing to put out there, Bryn, is that for organizations that are worried about, you know, training and other things, there are some really good programs that are already out there. And so I, I see a, like a ton of recreating the wheel in this space, which I think is very unnecessary. And maybe I'll say might, be potentially ego-driven by some individuals. Some individuals maybe just don't know there's other good stuff out or they think their organization just really needs their own. But I, I think there's lots of good stuff that can be borrowed, built on, inspired by, et cetera. Yeah, I think you're, no, I think you're you're nailing the head there. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, uh, in terms of it's, I've come across it too, where there's folks that feel that, you know, sometimes it's, it's KT, they just don't know what they don't know what's out there. But then, like you said, I also have come across where it's like, well, we're almost like we, we're just that unique that we must have a different model. Like, and in reality, there's sure there's, there's definitely individuality, but we're not that different. Well, I have a two-part question, Don. Really, I had the first question based on what you said, but then there's a second one that's related to what you said. So I'll maybe pose both um, and then you guys can choose the order to answer them in. So I know Stuart, you as well had said that when you guys were developing this Ottawa model, you had looked to other types of organizations out there and great work that they were doing in this area as well. And you've just touched upon that, Don. So if um, either of you have some places that maybe someone that's listening could also kind of turn to and what were these key resources that you found interesting and um, we'll also include these within our sub stack as well as any others that 
perhaps Stuart and Don think of later. And then Don, I was also thinking, um, because we'll hopefully have some patient partner listeners out there, so I was wondering if you could also share from your perspective um, some benefits that you as a patient partner experienced from being involved in these key positions um, within these institutes and being a champion of patient engagement, because I'm sure there's people who are debating, wanting to get involved, unsure. So what would you say to them if you are a patient partner on the cusp, you see opportunities out there and you're like, ah, maybe, I don't know, can I do it? What would you say to them? Okay, so two-parter, fairly different. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start with the second question, Anna, because um, uh, that one just seems to uh, like I've got, I've got resources that I can definitely mention, but um, for me personally, some of the benefits, um, so in the work that I do, I mean, I live with a chronic disease, right? It's got no cure. Um, so my work is incredibly meaningful to me because I, I can empathize with the, with many of the people I work with about what their day-to-day -day is. Like, you don't know what's around the corner. Maybe you'll be fine, maybe it won't be, right? Um, and I've been in those healthcare and research situations where I haven't been given much of a voice or I've, you know, kind of been downplayed what my perspective is because somebody else didn't agree with it or, uh, you know, a healthcare provider or someone else has been, offended by the experience that I've had, right? So I, I think I'm extremely privileged in the work that I do facilitating patient engagement to be able to give people the opportunity to share their experiences in what I call a safe space or what it, when I try to create as safe a space as possible for people and give them an opportunity to hopefully be listened to appropriately, whether or not I can action that is another thing. Um, but also in the work I do, I've, I've gotten a ton of gratification from being able to show people how their often not very great experiences have impacted a project or how that's changed our thinking about something. So, for me, that's gratifying. It's also gratifying to be able to take something that's been handed to me that, you know, is not great, right? Like, oh, hey, you're going to live with chronic disease for the rest of your life and actually turn it into something that's more than fairly positive, right? Like, you know, being in grad school, sitting next to the instrument I built to sequence DNA, I didn't think in 20 five years, I'd be talking about this. <laughs> like, what was this even 25 years ago, right? So I, I feel extremely privileged to do what I do. Um, in terms of encouraging other people, I mean, part of what I, I like to be kind of in the background also. So I'm happy for other people to be sharing their patient stories, um, but working with them to make sure that that if I can move that into action. So for me, it's less about sharing my story. And so if other patient partners, if they are interested in being patient partners, I think their motivations and, and understanding that are important because to Stuart's point, that also helps people like us figure out where, you know, where they might fit into projects, right. And what they might benefit from and what they might bring. So we can, you know, it's kind of like fitting puzzle pieces together, right? If they wanted to be like a facilitator like me, then I think there's different skills and different potential benefits that are involved. And like I said, when I facilitate things, it's less about me telling my story and like, oh, I've, I've experienced that. I know what you're talking about. But using that lens to be empathetic, to think about this type of space I would like to be created to offer compensation because I know that that's what's important to me and is probably important to other people. So I think it's just helped my lens. And so I would ask other people to think about, you know, what are your motivations and what, what would you like to get out of it or what you can offer 
as either being a patient partner or facilitator. So hopefully that makes a bit of sense because I feel like I just rambled there for a lot. <laughs> um, and then in terms of some of the resources that are out there, like shameless plug, right? Um, with IMHA, we've got a patient engagement resources site. It's it's intended to be very practical though. So if you're all about the theory and all the framework, so to speak, it's probably not the place where you're going to find things, but we've got lots of practical things about like, how do you budget for this? Or, um, you know, how would you evaluate this? And um, the patient engagement research ambassadors who we've been working with have developed these modules for anyone around, you know, how to do patient engagement and resource um, in research. And there's tons of resources there. Like there's a template for you to download on um, terms of reference. There's, uh, uh, there's other things that are referenced there too. So that's one thing. I know that also out of Quebec, the Center for Patient and Public Partnership um, have also developed some really good resources. So for me, that's uh, another place to go. I know many of the four support units also have like great collections of resources, some of which you can actually um, filter through. So I think those are those are some good places. PCORI also in the US has a lot of stuff. And in um, the UK, Involve has a searchable um, thing that you can go to on their website where you can download a lot of practical. Like I'm into the practical. Me too. I mean, the theoretical is it's <laughs> yeah. cool from an academic perspective, but it's like, you know, to tell people that um, you could get funding to do this and not provide practical resources is like a real myth in, in my books. So. Yeah. I'm all about the practical, like how do we actually like get people to be able to do this? So yeah. Stuart, you've been waiting so patiently over to you now. No, I absolutely agree. And, and and actually Dawn and I both presented at the same conference back in November last year. And I think both of us have seen a, a not a complete change, but sort of more movement from why do patient engagement to how how do I do patient engagement? I think we've seen a change in the sort of emphasis there. Um, and that's definitely in my, my my role. A lot of the questions I get, well, well, how do I do that? What should I put in this? What so for me, things like we always have things like um, you know, if we want to do an advert, so we often, when we speak to our patient, uh, our researchers who want to match with a, a patient partner, we say, well. You know, let's start with with sort of a very short one page, not much more than a paragraph kind of summary of what what you're looking for. So, again, uh, the Center for Healthcare Innovation, you know, we've got a great one pager of what to put in an advert. And actually, we work with a patient partner to develop it. And then I found this resource and they were like, oh, yeah, these are the same, same, the same thing. So that, again, emphasizes that that's probably a good resource for me. Uh, so I don't need to invent reinvent a new resource for that i just say okay i just share that one pager now um terms of reference we always when we we work with researchers we say you know really developing a terms of reference whereby you work with the patient partners to set out like an agreed set of things that will happen why are you doing this project what's the background who's going to be the contact person what are the expectations around time commitments what's the compensation you know all those sorts of things so Another thing we've tried to do internally is sort of work with our researchers and say, can we share your examples with other researchers? So again, you're seeing different, not everyone's going to do it the same way, but you can see, okay, they this, this system be, this seems to be like core information uh, to get us a first draft at least. And then again, working with your patient partners to come up with a, a final document. Budget calculator, again, that's another one from, from Manitoba. There's a nice Excel file there, which I... I always sort of share if I can. Um, and grants for researchers, getting their okay to share grants examples is really helpful. Um, you know, what do I put in this grant? You know, it's a planning and dissemination grant. Well, how do I write that? Okay, well, let's get some examples. So part of the motivation actually behind the paper that we published was just the 
desire to get these very practical things in the public domain. As you know, as Dawn mentioned, as I think uh, Trish Greenall published a paper that is like there are fifty six different patient engagement frameworks. And Anna, I know you've published reviews as well. You know, so we probably so we have a lot of those sorts of things. What we don't have is sort of actually what resources do I need to do X or these very practical things that maybe aren't quite as academic in terms of their status, but from a practical point of view, are really helpful. So, you know, that was the reason, or one of the main reasons behind our paper, and one of the things we asked for is, it would be great if other people would publish what infrastructure they have or what resources they needed to do these sorts of things so that we can start sharing that. Because as, as Dawn rightly said, you know, there is a lot of duplication in this space of resources. Um, and actually one of the good th things we could do, and again, you know, we've got the SPORE national training entity. You know, one of the things I'd love to see is sort of, okay, let's distill down. What are the sort of, can we find a way to say, actually, this is a, a really good resource in this space. This is a really good resource in this space. Not to say we don't have new versions, but let's let's sort of try and get a sense of what what we really need on which maybe we don't need quite so many of um, so and again that's something we're hoping to do with some of the other collaborations is sort of find where those needs still exist and areas where we've got plenty of stuff to already look at no those are both great and uh i think it it, it lends itself well to uh um maybe a final question before we before we wrap up if you had to name one thing, like one practical thing someone could start doing tomorrow to help with integrating more of this into, into our systems, is there something you would just point to, even one thing to kind of get folks started? Or is it, maybe it's too big of, a, of an elephant to chew? <laughs> I don't know if it's one thing in terms of an item, but one of the things that we've looked at is, is trying to sort of make sure if you can that you kind of fit it within halfway you know some of the metrics for example i say you know the things we're conscious of is if we're trying to integrate things try and find ways in which we don't add lots of extra work for example mm -hmm. so again research ethics board submission they already have to do that for every uh, new study so adding an extra question isn't a hugely onerous thing versus Here's another form you have to fill out, completely separate, right? So I think from an integration point of view, finding ways we can embed it in existing kind of pathways or frameworks or things like that can be very helpful um, as opposed to creating a whole new pathway for something. That's a, that's a great point, Stuart. I like that idea of, you know, because you don't want to place all this I'll call it burden, even though I don't see it as a burden, but many people, oh, like it's another thing I have to, I just figured out how to fill out the KT section properly on my grant application. Now I got to do this section, right? So like you just get a giant eye roll when they think it's going to be a huge amount of work, which I love, um, Stuart, if you, if you can convince them it's not, <laughs> you can yeah. still get them to do a great job. That's, that's really important. I think um, I think I think my big thing for people who are like setting out is is to actually spend the time figuring out why you want to do this. So what what's your actual motivation, right? Because I think if if your motivation is genuine, your engagement is going to be authentic, and the processes that you roll out that are aligned with that are going to be authentic. I. I do think that, you know, people can figure out when this is nice window dressing versus, you know, we're like, we're really committed as an organization to do this. And so um, I, I think that that's a really important thing is for people to have that sorted out and appropriately articulated before they start to uh, toss, toss things at the wall that stick. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, Anna, is there anything you wanted to say or ask before we wrap up? No, I really especially loved your last point, Don, because I find that's the same thing when researchers or patient partners come to me to talk about really 
wanting to step into engagement, that's the first question that I ask, because through that, I think you also help people figure out the key tenants, and that is you're working with patients, caregivers, other consumers of the healthcare system to learn from them. And in order to change your practices, learn what, how to study, what you should study, and how to do things differently. And through that question, too, you really start to distill out the people who maybe don't quite understand what patient engagement is and rather think it's maybe talking at patients, caregivers, other consumers about what you're going to do and getting them to nod, right? So I find that in so many aspects is such a powerful question. Why do you want to move into this? And then through that, ironing out your intentions and then setting a map out and a plan in order to achieve them. So I think those were beautiful parting words. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, both of you, for, for joining us today on a Monday, no less. Um, you know, really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your time with us so generously. Um, so that'll be, uh, we'll be wrapping up our, our episode. Um, we'll share in the Substack uh, any contact information if folks want to reach out to either one of you and um, learn more about your work, as well as share the resources that you uh, referenced as well. Uh, you can find our show on Substack and it's on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and our YouTube channel. And you can also contact either Anna or myself, uh, anna.asperusual at gmail.com and mine's brin.asperusual at gmail.com. So thanks again. And let's uh, keep taking these lessons forward to help make patient engagement in research the standard or as per usual. So thanks very much.